Isn't that a great sound? I think every time we open the Word of God, we should have that sound in, in the background because it's time to sit down with God. It's time to open His Word, grab your coffee, hang out with God. He has something He wants to share with you from His Word. His Word is powerful and life-changing. My name is Mike Shields. Uh, I attend Valley with my wife, and I've been up here a couple of times uh, being able to have the privilege of sharing God's Word. And what a joy to join you again this weekend. Every sermon uh, that we share hits kind of on the area of trust, and it's very, very difficult because we don't fully understand what God is up to. I want to ask you, any control freaks in the audience? Is there anybody that feels like they uh, really they want to control every single aspect of, of their lives? Um, you know, you can point to the person next to you if you don't feel like you're the control freak, but I wouldn't recommend that. You might get in trouble with that. If you don't have any control freaks in your life, it's probably you. You're likely the most controlling person around. So you can think through that one as well. But trust is hard. And at some level, we want to control our lives. And that's kind of what we're, we're used to thinking. We want to control our lives. And the last several years have only worked to diminish our trust. It seems like we've grown more fearful and distant from others instead of closer. But it's always been difficult. Trust and trusting our, our Lord with the, the journey of our life is, is a difficult thing to do. We have to live by faith. We want to control life, and it happens to us at, at every age of life. I've, I've shared this story here about four years ago, but I'll share it again. When our daughter was about eight years old, we were moving. I was a pastor in an EFCA church, and we were getting ready to move on to another church. And we had a little family meeting. We have four kids. And our youngest daughter stayed after the meeting. And uh, she came up to me and she said, Dad, I'm not going. I am not moving with you. And so uh, the rest of the family had left. And I said, you've got to come with us. You don't understand. If, if you don't go with us, I mean, it's kind of illegal to leave an eight-year-old daughter behind. You need to come with us. And she said, you don't get it. Dad, I'm not going, not moving. And so after a couple of minutes of discussion and just really trying to hear her heart, she looked at me again and little bitty girl, she looked up at me and she said, Dad, I have friends. You don't have any friends. And you know, the funny thing about that is she was kind of right. And I want you to know that I just stopped there and, you know, quick prayer. How do I encourage my daughter? And I said to her, what can I do to make this work for you? And she said, uh, you need to, when we move to our new house, you need to go door to door and you need to find me a friend. And I said, wow, there's way too many things wrong with that. I'm not going to do that. But I said, would you go with me? And she agreed to go with me. And we walked door to door, knocked on every door in our new neighborhood, and we found her a friend found her one friend. Now she'll look back and she'll say, God moved her there as well. Not just her dad, a pastor, not just her mom and dad, but moved her there as well. And she made a tremendous difference for the gospel there. She started a Bible study in high school, reaching many high school friends. But you know what? If an imperfect father like myself would go door to door with his daughter, trying to help her find a friend, 
how much more a holy God when we find ourselves down a desert road, when we find ourselves in a place of, of wondering what's next, how much more will your heavenly Father meet you there and guide you and direct you? It's our faith. Our faith needs to grow. And, and I think in our text today, Philip is called by God to journey down a desert road. And that desert road is from Jerusalem to Gaza, a desolate place. And, and, and at the time, it was one you wouldn't travel unless you had a, a very significant cause. So I want you to see a picture of a desert road. You've got a picture in your own mind of, of what that road might look like. I love the sermon series, Spiritual Geographic. What a great picture. It's powerful because we identify the fact that we are, we are in physical places. God meets us and he directs us and he guides us. But we're met by the Almighty there in some of the most obscure and very, could be even prominent places. But even in these obscure places, God meets us. Where was Philip coming from and what was he doing? And, and you know, the early church was facing persecution. And Philip in Acts chapter 8, he faced persecution as well. Stephen had been martyred and the Christian community had been scattered. And Philip traveled to Samaria and was teaching that Jesus is the Messiah. And people were listening to him and God was on the move. In Acts chapter 8 verse 5, I'm going to give you a little bit of a, a prelude to our text. Acts, Acts chapter 8, verse 5. He's on a mission. He's preaching the gospel in Samaria. And they were proclaiming the Messiah. Everything is about Jesus Christ. Philip brings with him in verse 6 and 7, he brings compassion for the vulnerable. And Philip had been one of the deacons chosen in Acts chapter 6. And then we see in verse 8 that there was great joy in the city because the gospel had come and transformed many lives. You know, the message of the gospel plus care for people should result in joy in our cities. One of the many reasons uh, Tracy, my wife, uh, and I love Valley Church is because Valley Church is a place of compassion. It's a place of grace. It is a place where the vulnerable are cared for. And the outreach of this body of believers including pastors and staff, every, every person on their staff and every person who attends this church is reaching out into the communities that surround Valley Church and making a gospel difference, making a tremendous difference in the world. That's why we love being a part of Valley Church. And you know what? Even when, when the journey means that we're headed down a desert road, God wants to use us. And the Bible describes something that, that we need to take a look at, describes the Holy Spirit uh, as a wind. There's the wind of the Holy Spirit, the mighty rushing wind that represents the Spirit of God and His sovereignty and moving in our lives and the direct activity of the church. We see it repeatedly in this passage we're going to look at. And I want you to remember that John in his gospel says, that the wind blows wherever it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The wind is a great symbol of the sovereign direction of the Holy Spirit of God. Because wherever He wills, 
You cannot predict how the Holy Spirit will act. You cannot predict where the Holy Spirit will show up. And every follower of Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit residing within them. God wants to use you on every desert road. He wants to use you no matter where you're at in life to be able to be someone who walks in a way that you live in the flow of the gospel. Look at that, uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 25. So after they had testified the spoken word of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem, teaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. And I want you to notice how normal it was in the first century to share the gospel. It was so normal. It was an everyday thing. God's people had come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And now their call on their life was to go share it. They would share with their neighbors. They would travel on missionary trips. Wherever they were, it was about the gospel. It was about communicating the truth of God's word. And uh, in this passage, it's sharp contrast to what's about to happen. Everything was orderly. They're sharing the gospel. They're on their way back to Jerusalem. Not a lot of extraordinary things. But in this encounter, we're going to see, in, beginning in verse 26 in Acts chapter 8, that something different happens. And here's where we end up on the desert road to Gaza. I just want to stop right here and say, it seems like most everybody is on a desert road at some point in their life. But you know what? In the past three or four years, there's a lot of loneliness. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of hurt. There are many things that have divided us. And so there are more people today that you might say they're disillusioned, hurting. It might be you. You might be feeling in your heart that I don't even know what to do next. I feel like God's abandoned me. Or I feel like God put me in a place where I'm, I'm going through a time or a period of suffering and I don't know where he is. And so as we encounter this text, I want you to think, Maybe you are, are somebody who's on a desert road right now, or you feel like you are. It may not be a geographic place. It might be that you're in a, on a spiritual journey where you just feel like you have a lot of questions that aren't being answered. Let's look at the text and see what we're to be about while we're on that desert road. When you encounter a desert road, living in the flow of the gospel means that you and I should make room for God's interruptions. Beginning in verse 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. In the text, we're told that he was called to go on a desert road. It's added right there in the text. So he got up and he went. I love the obedience of Philip here. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians who was in, her, uh, in charge of her entire treasury. And he had come to worship in Jerusalem, and he was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. And the Spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. Have you ever had an angel appear to you? Have you ever felt like, there's an angel that, that you're dealing with. And we kind of get the picture in our, in our modern day 
of kind of an angel on one shoulder that's a little bit evil on the other shoulder, an angel that is, you know, positive, trying to get you to do the right thing. And that is not at all what scripture talks about when, when angels are being addressed. Not that kind of angel appearing. We don't know what angels look like, but we can be certain that whatever the picture is in our mind, it is likely untrue. For instance, some angels in the Bible have wings, others do not. And I'm certain that I've heard the Holy Spirit's voice, not audibly, but I've heard the Holy Spirit's voice in leading me. And I can recount that dozens of times in my life, maybe hundreds. But I don't know that I've ever seen an angel, except my, except my wife, of course. But I can recount so many times that God spoke to me and led but angels are active in our lives. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, it says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to those who will inherit salvation? Angels are sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Also in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, angels are mentioned, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. I don't know if you've had an encounter with an angel or if you would even know it if you did. I remember being in a restaurant not too many years ago. It was right at the height of, of COVID when uh, you had to sit apart from people. I remember going into a restaurant to pick up uh, a lunch for myself and a pastor I was visiting. And they told me I was going to have to wait there for about 20 minutes for the food to be done. So I leaned up against the wall and, I, and I'm waiting and I've got my phone out and I'm getting, getting my work done. You've got, all got important things to do, right? And out of the uh, corner of my eye, I can see a man sitting at a table. And I hear a voice. And he says, come and sit with me. And immediately, without even looking, I said, nah, nah, I'm good. I can, I can wait here. I know, it, it's pretty rude to not even look at the man. You know, God was dealing with my heart. About a minute later, the same man said, I only asked you to come and sit with me because I'm lonely. And so I said, can I, can I still come and sit with you? Felt horrible. God was convicting me that I had made no room for God's interruptions in my life. And I went and sat with him and we had a half an hour conversation. And I was able to meet a guy named Gerald who was a farmer and he was retired he had never been married, never had any kids, so he has no descendants, no grandchildren, and he comes into town once a week just to be able to sit down and talk with someone. For the next half hour, I heard his story, and I felt incredibly blessed. And I walked away from there wondering, God, was that an encounter with somebody who needed to teach me something, or was, or was that you sending a messenger to me to open my heart to be available every single stop along the way, to be willing to visit with people and listen to them. I talked to a young man recently who said, you know, there's really no one in my life, maybe other than my wife, who will listen to me. I don't have any friends who will listen to me. And it really is a sad kind of commentary on our day. That we're all so busy, we carry so many burdens with us, we very seldom will stop and just simply listen to somebody along the way. We don't have time. And so in this text, we need to make room for God's interruptions. 
An angel appears to Philip and gives him an unexplained command to go south to the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. Could not have picked an emptier stretch of road. And as the account tells us, no city or villages along the way. The amazing thing is, Philip did it. He obeyed. He didn't say, you know what, I'm going to pray about this. God gave him a command, he obeyed it. He knew what he needed to do. He went and he left a revival to go down a desert road, not knowing what God had for him. It's a beautiful picture of what we might call the wind of God, the sovereign blowing of the Holy Spirit, and the adventure that is always characteristic of a person who will lay down their life, be led by the Holy Spirit, and live in the flow of the gospel. We tend to see the desert road as something that's an interruption, maybe to be avoided. God doesn't see it that way. When you're on that desert road, it might be a relationship, and all of a sudden it ended, and you don't know what to do. It might be a job. It may be a a move geographically to another place. You're starting over. Maybe you left all of your friends behind. But there are times that you and I walk down that desert road, and along the way, God has purposefully placed us so that we might come in contact with people that he is speaking to and leading and guiding and directing toward himself. I I love that about the sovereignty of God. We think we make decisions about where we go and live. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 17, that it's God who determines where we live and move and have our being. God directs our steps. So what happens in that quiet moment? What's going on? Um, Henry Nouwen, who's a, a professor, author, theologian, he, he said we need to find courage to enter the desert of our loneliness and change it by gentle and persistent efforts into a garden of solitude. It's hard for us to believe that a dry, desolate desert can yield endless varieties of flowers and that our loneliness is hiding under unknown beauty. If you have never read Henry Nouwen, he would be worth uh, you digging into and just getting to know that author. He said, in solitude, we become compassionate people, deeply aware of the solidarity and brokenness with all of humanity. We're ready to reach out to anyone in need. First, he said, silence makes us pilgrims. Secondly, silence guards the fire within. And thirdly, it teaches us how to speak how to really connect with others. So living in the flow of the gospel, when you encounter a desert road, make sure that you make room for God's interruptions. The second thing I want you to know as you encounter a desert road is to listen to the questions of others. Acts chapter 8, verse 30 and 31. When Philip, I love this word, ran. When he ran up to the man's chariot, He heard him reading the prophet Isaiah aloud, and he said, do you understand what you're reading? This is a very humble question. It's a very direct question, but it's also humble. Philip could have said, you know what you're reading? You're reading Isaiah. I know what you're reading. I've read it before. I know how it ends. I know who the Messiah is. I can tell you who he is. No, he came in meeting a stranger, and he said, Do you understand what you're reading? I love that question. It's a very humble, very respectful question. And the man responded, the Ethiopian eunuch responded, how can I? 
he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So he was invited into this man's chariot now. Notice how Philip obeyed immediately. I mentioned that earlier. Notice how excited he was about taking a step of obedience. It's almost as if he said, now I know why God sent me down this desert road. Because it was to have an encounter with this man. I want you to see a video of a, a young man in a Christmas play. He got a part that, you know what, a lot of people wouldn't be too excited about. And he got a part. Look at, look at his excitement. We need to have that kind of excitement when God calls us to serve him. Good. Guess what I am for the nativity? I'm a classic one. Classic role, is it? Classic part? Yeah. Um, Joseph? No. Uh, uh, one of the three wise men? No. One of the innkeepers? No. Um, but it's a classic part? Yeah. Okay. Um, you tell me then, because... I'm door holder number three, I'll be holding doors. That's amazing. Holding doors for who? Um, probably um, Joseph and Mary. Oh my gosh, were you pleased when they said that? Yeah. What and did you, What did you do? And I was like, I'm a door holder, get in there, let's go, yes. I love that he says um, he's door opener number three. I love that. There's another person of interest in, the, in this text. It's the Ethiopian eunuch. He's a man of great responsibility, secretary of the treasury of Ethiopia, had great authority, and he had great influence all over Ethiopia and Egypt. He worked with the queen. He had come to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. He was looking for something. He's obviously not Jewish. He was searching for truth. He comes to the temple to investigate the Jewish faith. And you cannot read this account without detecting a note of disillusionment. And I love the way the Holy Spirit led the uh, author of Acts, Luke, to write this. We see the disillusionment in this guy's heart. He's not only on a desert road physically, but spiritually, he's in a desert. This man has no clue where he's headed. All he knows is, I want to know the God of this, of this scripture that I'm reading. He had gone to Jerusalem seeking to know him. He had been to the temple, the court of the Gentiles, in the outermost courtyard, the only place non-Jews were allowed to go. And uh, it was accessible to Gentiles and foreigners and those who were considered impure. They worshipped, they milled about, they exchanged money. They would buy animals for sacrifices. They could even buy copies, uh, manuscript of the Old Testament books. Uh, and that's likely what he did. And that's how this, um, this scroll of Isaiah ended up in his possession. So he's an African man. He's standing in a Jewish temple, probably feeling very out of place. But he's so disillusioned, he is seeking God. And he's also a eunuch. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail what that is. It means he was castrated likely before puberty, and he was given a high position. And the reason they would do this to a young man and give him that kind of high position near the queen 
is because the king would not be intimidated by him, would not be worried about him with his harem, or even that he would have descendants who might try to overthrow the king at some point. This man would be alone. He would have no descendants. He couldn't, uh, in, in any way in society, people would know because his skin would be a little bit different. His hair would be a little bit different because he had been, he had been castrated at a young age. People would have seen an outer appearance and they would have known there was something different about this man. And so here he is standing at the temple, wanting to know God, wanting to have a relationship with him. And God takes Philip, a servant, and he sends him into a place where he can minister to this man, very particular. In Isaiah 53 is what he was reading. It helps you understand uh, the context. Uh, it's because it was about the Messiah. But I want to take you to Isaiah 56, 3 to 5, and see something else he would have read. In Isaiah, no foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord should say, the Lord will exclude me from his people. And the eunuch shall not say, look, I'm a dried up tree. For the Lord says this, for the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant, I will give him in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name. And so God is promising that even, even a eunuch, even one who could never have any descendants, that, that coming into a relationship with a holy God, he would be given a memorial and a name. He would never be forgotten. I want to ask you today, are, are you feeling the same, maybe kind of disillusionment as the man in the text? And wondering, and, and, and maybe there are people that have connected with you and they've shared the gospel with you. Or maybe you're the one that God puts you on a desert road to connect with an individual and you're, you're realizing, that's me. I need to go and minister and I need to share my heart with that person. I need to be the one willing to ask the good questions. The third thing I want you to know is when you encounter a desert road, living in the flow of the gospel means that we are to know the key truths of the gospel. Look at verses 32 to 35 of Acts chapter 8. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open its, his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So we know he's talking about the Messiah. But the eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, interesting, he said to Philip, I, I need to ask you, who is the prophet saying this about? himself or someone else. Because the whole concept of a Messiah to come was not that he would have to suffer. The Jews believed that he would be elevated, but, but the suffering part was hard for them to understand. And so for him, for this uh, Ethiopian man, it was hard for him to grasp how the Messiah would be one that would have to suffer. And it says Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that very scripture. Excellent place for us to begin when people have questions, to begin with their questions, begin with what they are already contemplating in their heart. 1 Peter 3.15 says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You and I should be filled with the hope of the gospel but to do this, we're to do it with both gentleness and respect. 
And I believe that Philip models that in a beautiful way here for us in the text. So what do we need to communicate? What are the truths we need to communicate? You might want to jot a couple of these down. We're to know the truth about God and his word. You need to know his word. He created all things, including you. He is perfect and without sin. He placed eternity in our hearts. We need to know also the truth about mankind and our sin. We need to know the truth about Jesus Christ, God's son who came to earth to live a holy and perfect life, eternal sacrifice for our sins, paid the debt we couldn't pay by suffering and dying on the cross. We need to know the truth about our response to the gospel. We believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is how we're saved. Confess with our mouth. We believe in our heart, confess with our mouth. That's how we're saved. This whole situation is an amazing work of the Holy Spirit. He brings Philip to a place of obedience down a desert road, meets someone who is reading a passage from the book of Isaiah about the coming Messiah. God brings them together. Philip asks very, very humble questions. The man begins to discuss where he's at. Philip shares the gospel with him and and his life changes. Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus Christ. We see that in verse 35. We live in a culture that is in the middle of an epidemic of loneliness. More than ever in, I think, American history, people are crushed and and just feeling alone. And that epidemic, it just, it runs rampant even in the church. We live in a very complex world and feeling alone today, you can have, you can have, what you think are relationships um, in social media, you can connect in different ways, but people can feel very much alone. There's a great body of research on aloneness, loneliness in our society and its effects. In fact, uh, there is uh, one study that says, if you are suffering from loneliness in the next year, if you join just one group, you cut the risk of dying in half. That's an amazing uh, statistic right there. Uh, The community groups here at Valley Church, your motto could be join a group or die. I mean, that would be a great motto for the coming year. There's also been a formal study on loneliness in the American Medical Association. They had 276 volunteers who were infected with a virus that produces the common cold. A study found that people with strong emotional connections did four times better fighting off illness than those who were more isolated. These people were less susceptible to colds and had less virus and produced significantly less mucus than people who were relationally isolated. I'm not making this up. In other words, they produced less mucus, meaning that, and this is true, literally true, unfriendly people are snottier than friendly people. It's just the way it is. We're in desperate need of of connection with others. And there are only two things that are going to last forever, the Word of God and people. He wants us to invest well in both. So when you encounter a desert road, the fourth thing and final thing, we're going to sum it up here in just a couple of minutes. Living in in the flow of the gospel means to remove barriers to the gospel. Look at verses 36 to 40. They were traveling down the road. They came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. I love that. What would keep me from being baptized? 
This man was wondering, I'm different. I'm, I'm an African man who was standing in the temple. Am I accepted? Can I be baptized too? Can I be publicly confirmed as a, a follower of Jesus Christ? And of course, Philip responded, uh, yes, you can be baptized, of course. So he ordered the chariot to stop, and, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord fill, carried Philip away. So we have kind of a Star Trek moment there. And the eunuch did not see him any longer, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus, and he was, as he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Philip was invited into the man's chariot. What about people in your life? If you're on that desert road, if you find yourself in a place that you feel like is kind of an out-of-the-way place, open your eyes because God may have connected you there for an eternal purpose. A great question to ask people, if you really want to know what's going on in their life, is, is what is it like to be you? And I can imagine Philip asking the Ethiopian eunuch, what is it like to be you? Help me understand your life. As we close, there are a couple of things I want you to know, but Romans chapter 1 is a passage that I want you to see. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, and then to the Gentile. We need to be unashamed of the gospel, willing to share the gospel with people we encounter. So how do you make the most of this journey? I'm going to go through these four really quick, and then I'm going to pray. We need to see others the way God sees them. That's easy. I mean, that's simple for us to understand. Not easy to do, but, but simple to understand. See people the way God sees them. There's someone who has eternal value, someone who matters. Secondly, be available and live with margin in your day. Just carve out some time to listen to God and do what he calls you to do in the simplest way, in the kindest gesture. Third, share what God has done rather than telling others what to do. I love that about Philip. He didn't, he didn't come in there saying, you know what, if you would have only, or if you only do this or change your life in this way. No, he shared the gospel with him. He let the gospel connect with his heart. He let the Holy Spirit convict him of sin. And when he confessed his faith in Christ, it was really about that. And then pray for opportunities. Pray that God would move. I was coaching Little League many years ago with one of our boys. We had a guy on our team, his name was Luke. Little boy, 10 years old, nine years old, I can't remember the exact age. He did not want to bat, did not want to play. And I said, Luke, you gotta play because here in Little League, if you don't play, we forfeit the game. You've got to bat once, you've also got to go into the field once. And he said, I I'm good, I don't need to play coach. And I said, okay, uh, isn't that your parents? Aren't they sitting right over there by the fence line? Aren't those your parents? And he said, yeah, they're okay. They don't need to see me play. And I said, Luke, isn't that your grandparents sitting next to them? I know they drove over a half an hour to get here. Isn't that your grandparents? Yeah, they're good too. I knew he was terrified. So I said, finally, I coaxed him into putting a helmet on, got him a bat, and I said, I'll go up there with you. So I went up and I stood with him. And the umpire was clued in. He knew what was going on. Every pitch, three pitches, didn't matter where they were, the umpire was so gracious, he called them strikes. So little Luke could run back to the dugout as quickly as he was done and struck out. 
And I was running after Luke. I, I came after him and I said, Luke, Luke, I'm yelling his name. And I'm hoping his parents know I'm encouraging him, not, not yelling at him in a negative way. I said, Luke, and I sat down next to him in the dugout. I said, I'm so proud of you. You stood up to something that was a great fear for you, and you did it. You know what? I just want you to know that next, uh, kind of the next time you get up there, it's going to be easier for you, but I'm so proud of you. You know what? By the end of the year, he was still a horrible baseball player, but he, he would get up there to bat. He would go out in the field. He would do what he needed to do. And it was something that gave him a real source of enjoyment to be a part of the team. Now, believers, you're going to be on those desert road journeys. You're just going to be. And you have an opportunity for God to use you in those very difficult times in life to serve his purpose, to share the good news about Jesus Christ, to open your heart to be a part of something only God can accomplish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege of opening your word together. I thank you for the joy that is ours in Christ. And I also know that you will use this in this message and this text in whatever way you wish. We thank you for the working of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.